like everyone to, um, before we continue chapter six, um, you know that part in yourself which feels the need to defend the integrity of your choices and lifestyle and behavior, make yourself feel good about the way you've been behaving? Yeah? I would like you to turn that part of yourself off. Or at least put it on mute. The part that when you hear something that, makes, that puts you in a bad light, you feel the need to <laughs> go against that and explain how really no. Yeah, no, but really, really, really no, today. Really if you've read ahead, you will know why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this is very indicting. This makes Musser feel a lovey dovey. Ready? All right. Now, paragraph. I'm not telling you anything. I'm reading and explaining and answering tangential questions up to the point at which I feel we've gone too far and then go back to the topic at hand. That's all I do. Right? Yeah. I don't think I. Okay. Now, the paragraph starts now. It's the bottom of the page, at least in this edition. Now, these 10 unclean categories, right? What are these 10 unclean categories? The one we just went through, right? Which are the different faculties, different powers of the animal soul, which all add, act as impurities on the corresponding things of the godly soul. We went through Chochma, Bina, all the way through Malchus, and then we came back to Das, which I'm not going to summarize, because if we do that, we're just going to get stuck in the summary. Good? Yes. When a person... I don't like the word meditates, but that's what translators use The Hebrew is Mechashev. What is Mechashev? They're more thinking. Yeah, meditating is maybe yeah, con- thinking. Any kind of thinking of any kind of shape or form. In them. No, I don't know what Hebrew for meditation. You have to first tell me what you mean by meditation, and then I'll tell you what. What? I don't know. I don't speak modern Hebrew. I get enough modern Hebrew that I can get by, but that's about it. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Um, half shita, half. <laughs> the shita is like not to learn modern Hebrew, and then as a result of that, I end up. So yes, I, I, I've, I've, I often use phrases from rabbinic Hebrew because I just don't know the 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 modern Hebrew, and so, then it's always funny like when you're in the doctor's office and. I, I remember once being in the doctor's office with my wife and mentioned that when she was pregnant using the rabbinic expression rather than the... And the doctor looked at me like, what? <laughs> it's like if someone started speaking Shakespeare to you in English. <laughs> so. No. Okay. Okay. Now these ten, when a person meditates, thinks, any sort of mental activity around them. That's the connotation here. Or speaks them or acts by them. Okay, so this should be familiar for those of us who were here for chapter four, right? With thought, speech, and action, right? So let's be clear, right? There are some times where, let's just use the example. What is Chachma? Chachma is that? Chachma the animal soul, please. What is Chachma the animal soul? This is the truth that is shining. The animal soul. Um, sees himself as the, his life. Oh, that the lie, convincing yourself that the lie is true. What's the lie? I'm the center of everything. I'm the center of everything, right? That, that convincing yourself 
right? That creativity and maintaining the lie that everything, that everything really revolves around me. Okay, now, when that's what you're thinking about, right? Or something that's what you're, that's what, that's what's motivating your speech or that's what's motivating your action, right? That's what we're talking about. Or what would be the love of the animal soul? The ava, the chesed of the animal soul? Two. Things that are about yourself. Things that, no, we're put in the context of God. That take you away from Hashem. When you're attracted to things that take you away from Hashem and then you think about those things that take you away from Hashem. Or you speak about those things that take you away from Hashem because you like them. Or you do the things that take you away from Hashem because you like doing those things, right? Mm -hmm. You're getting the theme here? Yes. Okay. So in any of these things, um, then his speech, which is in his brain, sorry, his thought, which is in his brain, his speech, which is in his mouth, and the power of action, which is in his hand, together with the other limbs, all of these are called impure garments of these 10 unclean categories with the latter clothes at the time of action, speech, or thought, right? So we had this idea previously, right, that the aspects of the godly soul are clothed in the mitzvahs, and now we're speaking about how the animal soul gets clothed in thought, speech, and action. And those are called garments, okay? I'm gonna come back and elaborate on this. I just wanna keep going so we get the point. So, it is these that constitute all the deeds that are done under the sun. We'll stop there. What does that mean? Every single action. On this earth. On this earth. Every single word uttered while you are alive. Every single thought that you have is a unclean garment clothing an impurity of your soul. That's what it says, right? Unless. Not unless. Did you see any unless? Was there an unless there? So, having studied chapter four, we know there is an exception to this. What would be the exception to this? What? No. What would be the exception? What thoughts? Mitzvahs, right? So if the thought you are thinking is a mitzvah, the words you are saying is a mitzvah. What? Okay, but so now let's run through some activities. I'm, I'm just picking this at total random, okay? Clarifying shoe sizes. It's so random. Really, really out of the box. Is what? Talking about what the shoe size are when you're converting from different country standards. What is that? You just that's Yep. What was that? That was, I believe, it says a... Um, a impure garment... Clothing and impurity of the soul. That's what it says, right? <laughs> what? That doesn't sound so good, right? No. Of course not. You're speaking out loud. Yeah. <laughs> not deaf. I wasn't sure if you were clarifying. No, that was your beard. And I was like, what a coincidence. Right. Okay. All right. I purified this room. Yeah. Well, I don't understand that analogy. It's not an analogy. It's a fact, whatever. Okay. Why, why? Well, we have a category called everything under the sun, right? Yeah. 
And we've already known that this doesn't apply to things that are actual mitzvahs, right? From chapter four. Yeah. Okay, so it's a simple question. Is trying to figure out what a shoe size is in one country's units and its corresponding thing in another country's units, is that a mitzvah? No. So therefore, the speech around that topic is a? Um, garment, which is clothing a impurity of the soul. That's sad. Yes. Because it's not something bad. Because it's not something bad, right? Yeah. We could just like sit with that for a while. No, it's really actually... I mean, it's not like she's speaking Lashon Hara. It's not like she's doing something mean or bad or horrible. That's what's sad about it. I don't really understand. Now. Yeah, but it's not how it is. I'm feel. I know, that's sad. So talking about... No, it's not that it's in... Uh, uh, if it's... Not holy to impure. It's everything but a mitzvah. That's what he says. Everything under the sun. And we are accepting the mitzvah. He didn't even say that. Now, everything under the sun, which are called vanity and striving after wind. <laughs> okay. He didn't. What? Sorry. Sadiqim I didn't explain. Sadiqim also talk about shoe sizes. Really? Yes. Yes, but Sadiqim. Del, you don't think the Rebbe ever said, I need a new pair of shoes? Well, yes, that no, particular I example, I happen to know he, the Rebbe never said he needed a new pair okay, of shoes. Okay, but like, you don't think he went to go buy a pair of shoes and they were like, what size are you? And he was like, I don't no, know, he never went to buy a pair of shoes. Although, that does remind me of a funny I know, story. But what? I will tell you a funny story and then I will address your question, okay? Okay. <laughs> so, um, there was somebody who was close, uh, a bachur was kind of close to the Rebbe and and um, he's getting married. And um, she asked if he would like um, the Rebbe's shirt. Wow. Wait, what? She asked him, would you like a, sh- would you like a, would you like a the shirt? The Rebbe asked the Bachar? Yeah, asked the Bachar. What? I was like, uh, for the wedding. When some people what do, do that, that? One, second, one second, one second, one no. second. Now, there's an idea of, we- there's idea of wearing no, the clothes. There's, a- there's No, it's the Rebbe. Right? Also, Shep? What's that in your there's a custom of wearing things of a tzaddik at special events such as a wedding. The custom amongst Ashkenazim is to wear a kittel, which is a white garment. The chasm wears a kittel. The Chabad custom um, is that you cover that over with something else, which is if you've ever been to a Chabad wedding, the chasm doesn't look like he's wearing white. That's because the kittel's covered over by, by an overcoat. Um, the, those who get a hold of it use a shirt of the Rebbe as a kittel. Okay, why again do we have to cover it? What? I don't know the reason why, I have to wear it, but that just happens to be the custom. We have to cover what? The, like, the, why can't we wear white? Why can't the custom wear I don't know. I don't know. The custom, the custom is the kittel's covered. Right. Um, by the way, so, so... So you wear a coat even in the So you wear a coat, yes. So every time you're at a regular Chabad wedding, the chasen is actually wearing several layers. There's yes, there's the tzitzis and the shirt and then the kapata and then the kittel and then the overcoat. But you shouldn't feel have so much rahman and so much compassion for the chasen because after all, he doesn't have to cover his hair outside in public the rest of his life. So thank you. Right. Everybody has their own struggles. Getting back to the story. So anyway. So anyway, before the wedding, he gets a brand new shirt, which happened, to, which was the same company and cut of shirt that the Rebbe would wear. That she was wanting to get him something like for oh, the chuppah, right? So she didn't give him a shirt the Rebbe wore, but she was asking, does he want the same kind of shirt that the Rebbe has? Uh-huh. And he thought he was getting an actual shirt that oh. the Rebbe wore. Yeah. Um, okay, 
still getting a shirt from there was worth it. It's still definitely. Now that 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 was just a, a cute thing that sometimes. Oh, I, I used to know, but I forgot. No, the, the, the answer to your question is that tzaddikim are discussed in chapter 10. Okay. What's between now and chapter 10? I don't know. The rest of 6, all of 7, and all of 8, and all of 9, right? So there's only that verse? That's right. Yeah. Okay. okay. But is the information that we're going to learn going to render what we've just learned false? No. But it, might it put it in some context? Perspective, yeah. Right, okay. But... The altar clearly wants us to be clear about the foundational principle and then put it into a more nuanced context rather than... Yeah. Okay, so that's, yeah. the, that's the answer. When, when do you teach those other ones? Like, well, uh, if we're at chapter now. 6, so I mean, assuming we're going in order, I'll probably get to chapter 10 in about two years, the way we're going, right? I know, that's what I'm saying. So I'm not going to be here two years, so where can I find your lessons? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I've ever have recorded lessons in English on these things. I don't know. You have it in Hebrew? Oh. We literally record every class, right? I know. Future I classes. I don't know. We'll have to figure that out some other time. Let's continue with the topic at hand. Okay. So everything that we do under the sun, which are impure garments, clothing the impure, the impurities of the soul, are called vanity and striving after wind, which is a verse from Ecclesiastes. Okay. Now, um, the simple meaning of that, okay, Hevel, okay, if you, if you look at the, it, it, you know what, I'll write this on the board because it's a little bit easier to see what's happening in the Tanya if you, we have the Hebrew. So I'm going to write in Hebrew first. Oh, not as good as the green. I can write in script. Everyone's okay with script? Yeah. If you're not okay with script, then I don't know, clap your hands three times. Okay. Okay, that's the verse. Now, what does that actually mean? If we were to open up a regular translation. Hevel, everyone know what Hevel means? Vanity. What? Vanity. Nothing. Uh, uh, so heaven literally means vapor, right? And we know that vapor has a sense of being like ethereal, not substantive, meaningless, empty, right? You see that, right? So heaven literally refers to vapor as if in like you exhale, that's called heaven. Um, and then it's extended to mean just emptiness and meaninglessness. So for instance, Kohelis Ecclesiastes starts off by saying that the whole world is heaven. Heaven of Olam called heaven. It's all a bunch of empty, yes, right? In English, we have the expression hot air, yes? You're full of hot air, same idea, good? Yeah. What is veros? Veros means? Bad. No, it comes from the word reya. What is reya? Shepherd. No, that's reya. No. Problem is that there are several words that have a resh ayin as the main part of the root of the word. This comes from the word for companion or, f uh, or friend, friend yeah. right? For instance, um, amongst many ultra-Orthodox Jews, when they send out wedding invitations, they will say the name, or say like the name oh, of the oh, yeah. father and his, yeah, and his companion, his fellow, his beloved, right? Are we well, I've seen the Babichas go both so. ways. 
the firmer Lubavitchers tend to do that, the less firmer Lubavitchers tend to say the mother's name. I'm not getting to whether it's appropriate or inappropriate, you should or shouldn't do it, but oh, this so work... Oh, so not appropriate to the wife's name? It's modesty. I'm not saying that that's where that comes from. Wait, it'll say, and his friend, and not her name? Right, not her I'll name. I'll say, like, Greg or Issa. My father? Yeah. My father, we're not like that. I'm not, I'm not saying what you should or shouldn't do, but that's, that's what that, that, that's what that, what that term means. Both. Okay. Okay. So, the Ra'os Ruach would mean the friend or the companion of Ruach. What is Ruach? Ruach literally means what? Wind. Wind. Okay, so this verse literally means, if we translate it very, very literally, it means vapor and the friend of wind. Or if we translate it a little more metaphorically, it means nothingness, nothingness the companion of spirit. What do, you, what do you think Ruach means here? In what sense? What are you trying to get at when you say wind? Something. Lightheaded. Yeah, right. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So, if I were to translate this, if I translate this to get the, 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 the meaning, I would say, you know, I would say, um, um, emptiness, the companion of nothingness, right? Or hot air and the companion of silliness or companion of um, uh, meaninglessness. Meaning they go into each other. They right, yeah, right, right. So it's like, a, it's like a very poetic way of describing like the, the, the underlying meaninglessness and nullity of everything. Good? Mm-hmm. Okay. But as you probably know that the word ra also can mean evil, right? Right. Okay. And ruach is also used for the sense of spirit as, right? as in something positive, right? Like Ruch Kodesh, you understand? Right, like Ruch Kodesh, the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So the way the Zohar interprets the verse is that there is an emptiness which is evil to the spirit. So, again, the simple meaning of this verse is that this verse is describing how everything in the world is basically pointless, right? It's Hevel and the friend of Ruach, meaning it's Empty, it's vain, how, would they, how they translate it here. Vanity and going after wind, going after nothingness. Being the companion. Yeah. This is striving to like you're the friend of, you're the companion of, you're going after it. But the way the Zohar is going to interpret it is that there is a emptiness which does evil to the spirit. I believe the translator used the word ruination. It was the destruction. Ruination of the spirit. Right. So what we're saying now is, is that what happens when you discuss the shoe size? Wait, wait, wait. What happens if you discuss um, shoe sizes? What happens to your spirit when you discuss? It ruins. It, it gets, gets ruined. Oh, I thought it gets more empty. No, because exactly does that even mean it gets ruined though? We're gonna talk about it. I don't know why, it gets ruined or just doesn't get better. It gets Sorry, ruined. I'm a little confused. That's way worse. One person at a time, please. Yes. This phrase comes from the Zohar. Is no, this is a verse. It's where. From Kohelis. And the Zohar explains this. Right. So, the literal meaning is, there is, what is Hevel? Vanity. The Hevel is like empty vanity, we'll go with, right? Vanity. And what is Veros? Okay. What? Accompanying. Accompanying, right? Okay. Accompanying or striving. And what is ruach? Ruach here, wind. What is? Give me another word for wind. What do we mean here by wind? I don't know. Lightness and silly. 
Yeah, in English. Um, empty. Let's go with emptiness. Yeah. So there's a vanity that's accompanying emptiness. Yeah. What does the Zohar say? It says we're going to change this word ruach from emptiness to spirit. So that word, instead of describing a negative, is now describing something positive. positive. And we're going to take rose and, tra and, tra and translate it not literally. We're going to ignore the vowels. And we're going to treat it as, if it means, Bad. Yeah, the ruining of something. What do you mean ignore the vowels if it's not even... Just you don't know anything about the Hebrew Bible? No, but... It has no vowels. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Which means you can ignore the vowels and read the same letters. But if there's no vowels, you're still ignoring them. Like yeah. the other one added in the vowels. Then. No, 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 no. Oh. No, no. Hebrew language has no vowels. Yeah. Okay? So, what word is that? I don't know. Sorry. What word is that? I still don't know. Anyone know what that word is? Isha. What? Isha? Yeah. Well, you don't know. It could be Isha, which means woman. It could be Isha. It means her fire. It could be Isha, a fire thing. There's no way to tell unless I put it in context. Okay. Okay. Now in English, right? Yeah? Mm -hmm. You don't need context to figure out what those words mean because we put the vowels in, right? Yeah. Okay. So, therefore, the oral Torah teaches us what is the straightforward vowelization of everything to make the, the text make sense in context, right? Oh, okay. But I can alternatively read it with different vowels and then entirely change the meaning. And then changing it from the word that comes from friendship and accompaniment to change the word that means comes from the word evil, reyatara, mm -hmm. and then it means that there is a baseball relation. A-T-I-O-N? A-T-I-O-N. And now we're talking... Oh, what did I say? Runation. Runation. What does it say? Runation. Runation. It means to ruin something. Make something bad. Yeah. Okay. So now, instead of saying how this hevel is accompanying the emptiness, we're now saying how this hevel has a deleterious, runacious effect on a good spirit. On a good spirit. And that is describing what every thought, speech, and action of our lives, other than mitzvah. So, what happens to your spirit, to your soul, when you brush your teeth in the morning? These you, ruined you ruined your spirit. What happens when you go shopping? What happens when you take a shower? What happens so when you gossip? Anymore. What? It's not bad anymore. What do you mean? Because all day I'm just ruining my spirit. So, it's bad because sometimes you do something you don't? It's bad because you do it and other people don't do it? Like, well, no. It's bad because it is having a deleterious, negative, horrific effect on your spirit. The fact you do it all the time doesn't make it any better. It's like if someone steals once in a while, that's I worse know. than if they steal all the time. Majority of the time, I'm ruining my spirit. Yeah, that's true. The spirit never ends, just complicated. Oh, your spirit, being godly, has infinite capacity to be ruined. Sad. Uh, <laughs> Unlike a created being, there's no point at which it can be totally destroyed. There's always room for it to get worse. Oh. That's what it's saying, right? So positive. Your introduction the beginning of class was necessary. I see. Yeah, that's why I gave it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Runation. I like yeah. that word. Okay. So let's understand. Let's understand what's happening here. Okay. 
Was it the same time? Jamie, Jamie, You have something called the godly soul, which we've discussed, right? You have something called the godly soul, which we've discussed. Okay. Now, you also have an animal soul, right? Okay. Now, we know that the animal soul um, it's not a good influence on the godly soul, right? right? But fortunately, the animal soul doesn't actually have any real effect on the godly soul. Did you know that? Yeah. It's like, for instance, if you keep poisonous substances in your house, that's fine. Why? No one's touching it, no one's smelling it, no one's eating it, you're good to go, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the only problem occurs is if somehow those poisonous substances got into your body somehow. Then we have a problem. Yes? Yeah. Okay. So, how does it occur that the impurities of the animal soul contaminate the godly soul? Because it goes in. How? By us. How does it happen? How, how does it happen that an impurity of the animal soul actually contaminates the godly soul? If you convince yourself you're going to be No, no. Actions, behaviors. Are you going to bear? Nope. Not a bear. Okay. So I'm going to explain. I'm going to explain. I'm going to explain. Okay. By making a little diagram because it's abstract. I'm sorry for your Is this going to be like the whole leaking thing? What? Is it going to be like the leaking thing? The leaking. And like things attaching to the leaking. Yeah, there's that. Just thought. Okay. So it's like this. Okay. You have how many souls? Two. Two souls. Okay. Don't make fun, but that's your godly soul. <laughs> I'm doing males because it's easier to draw the difference, that's all. Convincing propaganda, you know, campaign to convince you otherwise, right? Yeah. We should. Right? The only thing that is attractive is godliness. No, anything that pulls you away from godliness should attract you. Right? You want to for it, right? Okay. But here's the thing, right? There's no problem. Except. There's two souls, but only one. Body. Body, right? So now, what happens if this soul really, really, really is 
going in the one direction, this soul is really going the other direction. Is that, do they affect each other? The answer is no. But what happens if the soul gets the body to do something? Then the other one's going in their direction. That's right. So, if your godly soul gets your body to think, which happens in your brain, speak, which happens in your mouth, or take actions, which happens in the rest of you, Right? And we learned that, what does that do? That brings God into your life, right? Yeah. And now, is being God being brought only to the godly soul or also to the animal soul? Also to the animal soul. Okay. On the other hand, if the animal soul gets you to do anything else, then what's happening? It's the impurity. It's going to the godly. It's going back up to the godly soul, right? In other words, what is the point of interaction between these two souls? Is what you're doing, right? So if you take an action which is a garment of the animal soul. It is not just making the, giving the animal soul expression, it's also doing what to your spirit? Taking it with it. Taking it with it, yeah. Yeah. It's really... It's heavy. It's heavy. All the time. Unless you're doing mitzvah. Every action, thought, speech, yeah. But we... Now, why? Does Hashem like this? What? Does he like it? It's a very thought out system. Okay. So any action, eating, walking, sleeping. Yeah. Does, because it's impossible to look at, a, at food and be like, oh my gosh, this is so good, I want more. So instead of just saying a bracha, like we're taking the good and then we're just destroying it. That's chapter 7. We deal with that chapter 7. We have to understand why this is. Because the author has said something that is very radical. He has said that unless the behavior is a mitzvah, then by definition, it is giving expression to the impurities of the animal soul and then having a deleterious negative effect on one's spirit. You have to understand why, why should that be? I mean, what's so bad about, you know, talking about shoes? It's not a sin. Yes. What about something good that's on a mitzvah? Like, let's say I'm walking in the street and I'm trying to elevate it because I don't want that to happen. So I'm saying words of Tyra. That's not a mitzvah to say words of pure families on the street. Sure it is. Why Saying words of Torah is a mitzvah. On the street? No, I mean, Where's saying words of Torah is a mitzvah. I mean, it just is. What, what if it's not words? Oh, it's like Tillam. Tillam is a mitzvah. Words of Torah. Okay. What if I'm going somewhere good? It's like, in between and it's like not a current mitzvah, but it's getting you to do something. Well, then that's a more complicated thing we'll talk about like, later. Like maybe have buying shoes. I'm not kidding. Well, so that should be that, that 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 goes into this category until for, until discussed. Otherwise, yes. Totally. Walking to shul goes in the category of mitzvah. There is a there, yeah. Walking Besides to shul. Besides for shul, like I just uh, yeah, walking to my own. So you rent the shul. Yeah, that's why you're allowed to run to Shul on Shabbos. Okay. Um, wait, does, does to walk saying, heavily back. Saying this whole generation is for exhibiting it's bad or it just means factor when you're doing it, it's a great So, so the, here's the problem with the word like bad. Bad doesn't have a fixed meaning, right? It's, it's relative to what? What do you mean it's bad? I mean, is ruining your soul bad? I guess it's bad, right? It's a natural outcome. What's happening? You're not doing something involved. You're not doing the Okay. Positive right. So what what we need to do? What we need to do. We're going to take a step back. Okay. We need to take a step back. 
Do you know the difference between children and adults? If you had to pick one single word between children and adults. Brain. Maturity. Maturity, right? That would be the one single word you would use? Yeah. Yeah. You think of a different one word? Intelligence, but yeah, I'm sure. yeah. I know some children that are, that are smarter than some adults. Although, to be fair, the Rebbe said that age is not determined on the passports. The difference between children and adults? Yeah. Like Syrians? I know that's two words, but yes. it's one word. Okay. Wisdom. Wisdom. These are all getting at the same basic thing. Yeah. Right? You haven't. Yeah. They're all getting at the Why? same some idea. Some kids have more experience than adults. That's true, and they often tend to come across as older. Right. Age. Right. Adults are like kids that are like old men. And there's old men that are like little kids, not in a positive sense. Okay, now. One of the differences between a mature person and an immature person is that a mature person, or an immature, let's start with an immature, an immature person, they expect things to be set up in the world in such a way that you can do everything right and then everything works out. And if somehow things didn't work out, it's because you did something wrong when you could have done something right. Meaning, like, if a child doesn't get to go to the trip they want to go on the trip, right? In their mind, well, that must have been because I didn't do the right thing. And if I had done the right thing, then I would have gotten to go on the trip, right? And if, they can, if, it, they, if it's clear to them that they didn't do the right thing, but they could have done the right thing, then, okay, they can accept that. But if it's not clear to them, right, otherwise, like, the, like what could I have done differently? And it's not fair, right? And children are always saying it's not fair. And um, what do adults? It's fair. Well, no. Adults are disappointed. Mom says no. Happened to Kara when you said that. Yeah, but that's just adults talking to children. I'm talking about adults. I'm talking about adults in themselves. To the degree that it, to the degree that an adult is mature. Yeah. What, what is their attitude about? What is their attitude about? Well, if you do everything right, you do everything the best you possibly can. Something what does that guarantee? Sometimes things just don't work out. Sometimes things... Life doesn't always work out. Sometimes you're just disappointed. Yeah. You can sometimes do everything the best possible and you still get hit by a truck. That can happen, right? That's the way the world works. And you're taking a risk every time you get out of bed and walk outside, right? Okay. And you do your best and that's that, right? Okay, Delta, but right, Tanya, for little kids or for adults? For everyone. No, for adults. For adults. What? Would you like me to, to give you an exact quote? Aleichem ishim ekra. To you men, or adults, I call out. And the entire premise of Tanya is that the mind governs the heart, which only really starts kicking in when? Later, No, like at eight. What age does the mind start ruling the heart really kick in? It starts, it kicks in sufficient that you can be held responsible for your behavior at bar bas mitzvah and continues to grow through teenage years until they're, you know... Your 20s. So that means that Tanya is really written for teenagers to adults. It's not really written for children. Which is why, like, does it really make sense to really teach Tanya to, like, a seven-year-old? Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't. So then why do I learn Tanya with a kid? I'm learning Tanya with my 12-year-old who's becoming bar mitzvah. Because as Rebbe says, that is one approach to bar mitzvah. You need to have some familiarity with these things. Yeah, but no, this is actually why, you know, if you listen to the Rebbe, when the Rebbe would speak to children, the Rebbe never used words like animal soul and godly soul. Yetzahara, Yetzatov. The Rebbe, because little children live in black and white realities and with very black and white expectations, and if you do everything right, everything should work out, right? Mm -hmm. So now, 
is the altar trying to say you should feel like you're a total failure because you brush your teeth and you, you know, change your socks? He's not saying that. He's just saying, look, yes, the world is a very, look, this is the reality. The reality is you have a soul. And a soul is a very sensitive thing. And it is sensitive to the impurities of the animal soul. The godly soul is sensitive to the impurities of the animal soul, right? And how do those impurities reach the godly soul? Not from the animal soul directly. There's no link, right? There's no link here. Nothing is happening between them. What's happening is that each one has an investment in the body. And so if the body behaves in a way that expresses the impurities of the animal soul, it has a ruinous effect on the godly soul. Right, which is the exact inverse of what we learned the previous half of the year, which was that if your godly soul manifests, expresses its connection to Hashem in the body through thought, speech, and action of mitzvahs, right, then what happens? Hashem's presence is present, and as the altar elaborates a great deal later on, that even affects and reaches the animal soul. So, yeah, that's the way it is. Should you feel like you're an utter fa- failure because of that? No. no. But you, should you be deluded into thinking that that's just not the way it is? No. no. Okay. Now, on this piece of information, can we build more, more ideas, concepts, nuance, and ways of dealing with it? Sure, and the is going to do that, right? But before the author does, the wants to explain why is it. Because it's not intuitively obvious that a benign act like brushing my teeth, changing my socks, is having a runacious effect on my spirit, right? So, brushing your teeth is under Vinishmartin. Vinishmartam means you're not allowed to do... First off, if I'm brushing teeth, you're not really under Vinishmartam. No. <laughs> this is like one of those propaganda things that people would say. There is no... First off, Vinishmartam is, is not really a I mean, it does seem to be gross to other people. You can't like grossify yourself. Balta Shaka, so you can't do... Yeah, but... So first off, first off, not doing something, right? Those are mitzvahs of not doing. Yeah. Balta Shaka, so you're not allowed to act disgusting. Yes, which prohibits activities ranging from um, eating food that has spoiled, um, not going to the bathroom when you really have to go to the bathroom. It's also prohibited. Um, uh, Stuff like that. Yeah, those are those are prohibited. Yeah, grossly meaning like stuffing your face in the food. You're not allowed to cut. You're not allowed to cut. Um, like you're not cutting in there. You're not allowed to cut food while holding it like this. That makes sense. Because if you cut yourself, even if, if it, then the blood on the food and that just grosses everyone out. Yeah, so stuff like that. Yeah, but that's what prohibitions. Those aren't. It's not. A, it, those aren't like you're doing a mitzvah. Yeah, but not brushing your teeth. One second, one second, one second, one second. No, but that's a mistake because, one second, because the prohibition of nishmarta means you're not allowed to do things that are dangerous. There is no mitzvah to... Do things that are safe? Let me put it this way. The nishmarta means you're not allowed to do things which are considered to be unnecessarily dangerous and risky. Okay, um, which which is actually a tremendous thing because people use this idea that oh if 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 your health is going to be endangered then it's prohibitive. It's just not true. Well, you can do you can do things that endanger your health. It just ha- can't be classified as unnecessarily dangerous. And so that, that that that's a big discussion. Halacha, what things are prohibited? For example, are you allowed to have open heart surgery? 
Are you allowed to have open heart surgery? You have to have open heart surgery. Not necessarily. It depends. It depends. Even this much percent that it's going to save the life, to do it. Yeah, but there's what's the percentage that it might kill you prematurely? Right. So no, this actual thing is that, for instance, for instance, no, no, for instance, so 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 not so so this is the halach of the shmaratem is is very involved, but the halachas of the shmaratem, you you have to do is you have is about evaluating what is considered the unnecessary danger to life and limb. It is not, it is not about maximizing health outcomes. Really? Yeah, for instance, most halachic authorities say um, that most authorities say that there is no strict prohibition on. There's a debate, but most authorities say there's no strict prohibition on halacha against smoking cigarettes. Not that you should, but and the very simple reason is is that is one cigarette going to is smoking a because nishmarta means a, about a particular action, and smoking a single cigarette is not an unnecessary danger to life. It just isn't. The cumulative effect of smoking cigarettes has very bad health outcomes, but there's no strictly speaking legal ban on that in halacha. What about vapes? What? What about vapes? What do you mean, what about vapes? What? Did you hear what I said? I'm saying, does that have the, is that the same thing? Is vaping one single time likely to endanger life or limb? No, maybe. No. Probably not, right? And by the way, I mean, it's not, a, by the way, I just want to point something out. That unnecessary thing is kind of important because it's not a statistical thing, right? Because it was a statistical you thing. You, like, it's necessary, not necessary to do it? Yeah, which is a like judgment call. Skydiving is unnecessary. Right. So, for instance, you could say skydiving. I'm not getting into this. I'm not getting into the specifics. But you could say skydiving is safer than driving in a car. And skydiving could still be also because of Nishmar to protect your life and driving a car not because society is built around people driving a car, so it's considered a necessary yes. risk where skydiving is not. I'm not saying skydiving is fruit. It could be skydiving safe enough that it doesn't fall into that category. And therefore, it's, it's not the simple thing, oh, if, if it improves your health, the Torah says you have to do it, it's just not true. Okay. So, what? So just getting, just, I mean, just getting back to the... Okay, by the way, the proof to this is in halacha. Are you allowed to go traveling by caravan? Um, are, you, are you allowed to go traveling by caravan? Like back in the day when they had camels? You know, yeah. in the desert? Are you allowed to travel by caravan if you're going to have to travel on Shabbos? No. The answer is yes. Really? Mm-hmm. You can't do it right before Shabbos. That's when you want to go. Caravan meaning a caravan of camels. Yeah. Or even without a caravan of camels, I'm just like the idea being is like this: Is it is, why are you allowed to keep traveling? And sh- why are you allowed to keep traveling? The boat, the boat is a slightly different halacha category. It's dangerous. No, right. it's dangerous if you're traveling with a caravan. The caravan keeps going. You have to go. It's dangerous for you to just stay all by yourself, right? Right. right. So you have to keep going. But right. knowing that it's going to. But are you allowed to go? Which means traveling the desert is clearly a risky thing to do. Are you allowed to go do it? Knowing that you'll eventually put yourself in a situation where you have to violate Shabbos in order to protect your life? Yes. And the answer is yes, as long as you do it significantly far enough away from Shabbos so it doesn't look like you're being disrespectful to Shabbos. So if you leave with the caravan on Sunday for a 10-week trip through the desert and the, and there's, and the caravan's going to travel on Shabbos, you're allowed to travel with the caravan even on Shabbos. It's not so, like, just because something is, is dangerous or unhealthy doesn't automatically make me prohibit. It's much more involved. So it's nice to say, oh, I'm serving Hashem by brushing my teeth, and maybe you are, maybe you aren't, but like, you probably aren't. And you don't need to. Okay. Not everything that's dangerous and you don't need to is 
It has to be. He said dangerous and unnecessary. Unnecessarily dangerous in the sense that this could lead to loss of life or limb. Life will limit to very different extremes. No, it's true. I really think it's fine. Okay. Ask around. What do you want to know about? 100% fine. It's not this. Sleeping in the park is allowed. Depends which park. Gone soccer. (laughs) These girls want to sleep in gone soccer. I have to commence them at 1 a.m., Rabbi. Tell me why. What? You don't decide to go to the park and commence them to go home. You told them to get to Lachau when you're running. (laughs) Okay. Fine. So. Maybe what we need to do, danger, what we need to do, what we need to do is we need to go back and explain something. Why is it that every single activity that we do, every, every word we say and every thought we think, if it's not a mitzvah, why is it really an expression of one of these 10 impurities? Like brushing your teeth, like which impurity are you expressing by brushing your teeth? Mm. Like we went through Chachma Bina Das, we went through all of them. Which one are you? Selfishness. We've spoken out all the time for it, which is you. Right. In other words, everything you do, right? If you if you if you think about it, it's centered on yourself, right? For instance, those people who are careful about brushing their teeth daily, right, are careful about brushing whose teeth daily? Mine. Their own, right? And and though right, do they you know like it matters to them their teeth, it matters to them other people's teeth less, right? So we see, even if you don't see anything overtly immoral or evil, right? Because we all understand that we are centered, right? Our 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 vantage point is from ourselves outwards. That's an indication that it's one of these ten or some combination thereof, mm-hmm. right? Now, obviously, some things are more and less. I would like to point out one thing which I think is very helpful before we move on, which is not directly related to the Tanya, but I think is really important just in life about understanding what the Tanya says, which is you use the word selfish. And have you noticed that I've been avoiding saying selfish? Yes. Okay. I love that word. What? Selfish. Okay. (laughs) Okay. If... If you say that someone is being selfish in regular everyday context, everyday speech, what do you mean? I mean they're being rude and caring about themselves and not caring about others. Very good. You mean they're caring about themselves and not caring about others? Yeah. What if they're caring about themselves and caring about others? Would you call that selfish? No. No. Now, is that still going to be? Is that still going to be the 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 the? Um, the destruction of the spirit that we're talking about in, in Tanya? Yes. Yes. So we have to differentiate between our social notion of selfishness, right? Which means I care about myself at the expense of what happens to other people, yeah. right? There are three cookies, yeah? And you take all three, and then your other two friends don't get any cookies. That's called selfish. selfish. And that one I'm dehydrated. One second. And you drink my whole water, and you don't I think you're on any. Sorry. If you take one cookie, if you take one cookie, right, and you give the other two cookies to your other two friends, right, are you being selfish? No. No. But now you're eating the one cookie because you enjoy eating cookies. And you're that's sharing the... Selfish. And you're... What? That's not selfish. No. That, that, no. I, I, I think it's really important we understand that this is... That's, this, in, from the perspective of Hasidus, it's all yeshus and it's all klip and it's all ungodliness. But, from, but it's not really what... I'm eating this cookie because I enjoy eating the cookie. And I also enjoy sharing cookies with my friends. And I also enjoy seeing my friends enjoying cookies, right? Mm-hmm. So like, Baruch Hashem, thank God that my notion of self is a little more 
socially compatible and appreciates the value of other people and I enjoy seeing other people, you know, especially those that I care about, having positive experiences. And so I, don't, I would actually feel really disgusted eating all the cookies myself, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's too. It's not selfish. Yeah, sorry, I'm saying the limit, whatever. Yeah. It's it's this that the Tanya is speaking about, right? It's you want to use the word chassid. Chassid uses it's going to be yeshus and klipa and all these things. Do you want an English word? Um, is it self interested? Sure. Self interested. Yeah. Right. But we have to appreciate this this difference because otherwise, what ends up happening is that you equate the most um, egotistical, self absorbed, immoral person with somebody who's reached the highest levels of human potential in terms of morality and ethics and, and, and sensitivity. And just, you shouldn't equate those two things, right? Mm -hmm. It happens to you when you're talking about godliness, there's something in common, which is that everything that is not focused on Hashem, as we're gonna learn now, has a deleterious effect on Kedusha, fine. But don't, don't treat everything that, that, that Alter Rebbe says is klipa as automatically selfish. It's, it, it, it debases us as people. Okay. I went shopping with my son uh, to get him shoes and sit down. Yeah, what? Yes, last night. He needs some shoes, so he went shoes. We went shopping for shoes. Okay. Now. Now, here's the thing. I enjoy doing a lot of activities. One of the activities I enjoy doing is spending time with my children, generally one-on-one. -on -one. Such a fun thing. Yeah. So it's quite enjoyable to walk to the store and walk back. The shoe store itself, not so enjoyable. It's crowded. You've got to get the person to help and whatever. But the walk there, the walk back, very enjoyable, right? Am I being selfish? No. No. Now, what would be selfish is my son is in the middle of playing a game with his friends, right? And I want to spend time with him. And I rip him away from that game because I want to spend time with him. That would be selfish. Right? Right? That difference... Is that, that difference doesn't show up in the Tanya because Alter is speaking on a much more subtle level. He's dealing with something that's more profound, which is godliness. But there's basic, you know, basic human decency is also part of this. And let's not just say, oh, well, if it's not all about God, you might as well be a sociopathic murderer. It's not true. Okay? Rant over, everyone's good with that? Because that's not a mix. Is, it a, is that considered eating with people? On a basic level. Like, why, why, why you know... Why am I, you know, why am I doing that? Is some combination of I enjoy spending time with him, and I feel compassion, you know, and it's really, I, I, it feels uncomfortable to be the father of of, a, of a, someone and ignore them and not pay attention to them, right? And I wonder why I'm that kind of person. There's a lot of there's a lot of motivations. You dig down, ultimately have something to do with me, right? right. And he's my son, and I want him to be happy because that reflects on me, or whatever, blah 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 blah. But right, and I genuinely do care about his welfare because it, it feels it feels icky to see him miserable, right? But, there's a technical term, by the way, icky. Um, at the end of the day, it's not, it's all rooted in... Self. Yeah, myself. And the self of all the different things we've said is, are the impurities relative to the godly soul. Okay, fine. Maybe we can tap, throw in that there's some mitzvah and stuff later on, but, but that's not the point I want to get at. So we have to always ask ourselves, when we're, when we're, when we're labeling things, what's the purpose of labeling it? Are we trying to understand the dynamics of being a person relative to being godly? Or are we trying to understand what it means to be a person amongst people? Those are two separate issues. If you're a person amongst people, right, you need to know, are you being selfish? Are you being considerate? Are you compassionate, right? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? 
The fact that it's all rooted deep down in some sense of yourself is like, who cares? If the question is, what is being a person, how, how does that bear on being godly, then that's a different question. Right? I'll give you a very simple example. Should you educate children with this idea that everything you do destroys their spirit? No. No. Right? You should educate children that they shouldn't be selfish. They shouldn't be cruel. I agree. Right? The fact that they want to do things because it makes them feel good, if the things they want to do that make them feel good are good things, you should encourage them, right? right? And if the things that they do are bad, then yes, they should feel bad about doing bad and good about doing good and like leave it at that, right? right. There's take less remember sure you realize there's something more than just what I do. There's also about is the life godly or not godly? Is it revealing a higher truth of Hashem in my character? The godly soul being given opportunity to really express itself or is it being corrupted by the animal soul but that's not the issue that you deal with with little children and for that matter even if it's an adult person you have to ask yourself like is this the situation where that's the thing i need to be worrying about or do, or is you know just it's okay that like I focus on the doing the right thing that's also important good okay the other thing that i want to mention um is that the Alter Rebbe is not criticizing the person um, for having the animal soul, right? He's not even saying, right? He's, what, he's, what he's doing is he's saying how that animal soul is a risk factor, right? That animal soul has all these impurities and they become um, an issue when they're translated into thought, speech, and action. When do the impurities of your animal soul become an issue? When they become thought, speech, and action, because right, that's the only time they, they actually have an like effect. When you're, rushing, like when, you're doing when you're doing something, right? Okay. Right. So there's actually there's actually um, what the altar what the altar which 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 which, dealt, which tells us that at least we've moved something into something we have control over, right? Because the key difference between thought, speech, and action garments we learned in chapter four. And things is something you have control over, which means where you have the option of doing a mitzvah versus a non-mitzvah activity, you have full control over how much ruination of the spirit versus the divine presence is coming into your life, right? Right, but how much I, is it something? Not, not putting it to the side. Is it something we're meant to control? We said no. It's just facts. Yeah. What's facts? That I'm gonna brush my teeth. I'm gonna buy shoes. That's true. But there's something that economists call, which is on the margin, which means you could spend 59% of your time doing actions under the sun, right? Yeah. And 41% of your time doing mitzvahs. Or you could spend 55% of your time doing actions under the sun and 45% of your time doing mitzvahs, which is only a 4% difference, right? Right. But that's the difference in who has control over that? Me. Right. You see what I'm? Mean? It's, it's, it's not. This is not like okay. The, if you if you pay attention to what we've learned, right? The altar is saying, yeah. I mean, you you win some, you lose some, but you do have some kind of control over where that division goes, right? You can't be doing mitzvahs twenty four hours a day. At least not yet. We haven't seen anything. We don't learn stuff that changes some of this. That refines some of these ideas. But even if we were to stop the time here, we could say, look, it's true. Yeah. 
some amount of time just by being alive I'm going to do all this stuff and so there's going to be the ruination of the spirit and some of the time I'm going to do mitzvahs but I can choose within a certain range right, to push it, maximize the mitzvahs and minimize everything else right mm-hmm. and that's overall a good thing Okay, now I'll tell you something about business. Okay. Do you know how venture capitalism works? The capitalism is the idea of, of right that you have money, you invest the money, do you make more money, right? Yeah. That's capital market capitalism. Good. Okay. What is venture capitalism? You've probably heard the term. You've heard the term. Okay. Shark Tank? What? Shark Tank? Shorting? Shark Tank. Yeah, that, that, but what, what, what's going on there? Investing in a company or product. You're investing in a company or product, There's, but, 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 but what's key about that? Is that... You're trying to get capital to invest in you. Okay. If I invest in, in, in Microsoft, that's not called venture capitalism. Right? If you have a great idea for a new product, but you can't like make it and distribute it and produce it because you don't have a lot of money and I have money, and you convince me that it's a good idea, so then I give you some money, and then I get a large portion of your earnings, that's called venture capitalism. What's the difference? It's a venture. A venture is like from the word, the same as like the adventure. It's, it's something that is untested, unproven. It might work out and it might fail completely. Have potential for growth so that they get equity back. They, they, they think they have the very, if they grow, if they succeed, what's going to happen? You're going to get a lot of money. But why doesn't everyone do this? What? Because most ventures fail. That's right. Most ventures fail. So venture capitalism means that you invested money in this person's crazy idea. And if it succeeds, you're going to be really rich. And if it fails, you lost all your money. Which does not happen when you buy Coca-Cola stock, right? Just, that's not what's going on. It's a totally different kind of strategy, right? Okay, so now here's the trick to, to being a venture capitalist. Yeah. Okay? Which is everything is easier on paper. Here's the trick. You just have to make sure that you have enough winners that offset all of your losers. So what do you do? Do you pick the one thing that's for sure going to succeed? No, because you don't. There's no one thing that's for sure going to succeed, right? Mm-hmm. You pick, you pick that. You pick like twenty five different crazy ideas, and you're like twenty four of these. My money's going down the drain. Like, I'm not seeing anything back, and I'm okay with that. And it doesn't bother me. You know why? Because statistically, one of these is going to make it big, and what I'm going to earn from that is going to override all the losses, right? But getting that judgment call right—that's the trick, right? Which is easy to do on paper and no, hard to do in real life. No, but the more you understand about the economy and about how business works, right, you can, you can, it's not just totally random guessing, but you also need a lot of money to start with. Right. If you have, don't have a lot of money, then you really are just picking and hopefully you're working out. If you have a lot of money, you can really afford to put, you know, half a million dollars in 25 different ventures. And then one of them ends up going really big. Right, but what's different is that if you do that, then you end up becoming crazy wealthy. From ventures. Yeah. No, from stocks. From stocks, is, you, you tend the risk is lower. Right? You see how this, it's you, more steady, but it's more... Okay. okay, I'm not saying that that's how it should become a venture capitalist. No, but why am I bringing this up here? 
Can we? Can, mitzvahs are good for the spirit? Yeah. Everything else is bad for the spirit? Yeah. Okay. So let's say I want to make my life worthwhile. Just worthwhile, like, like it was a net positive, right? Yeah. Then what do I need? I need lots of mitzvahs? Wrong. Does a venture capitalist need most of their investments to make money? No. He needs that you have enough big ones that overset a lot of little losses, right? That's, that's the trick with that, right? What does that mean in mitzvah? Well, here's the thing. How big is the gain of a mitzvah? Well, this is a review from chapter four. How big is the gain of a mitzvah? What do you get when you get a mitzvah? Hashem. Hashem himself. And how bad is the ruination of the spirit by like, living a life of doing non-mitzvah things? It's bad, right? It's some kind of gain, but is it like an infinite ruination? No. So that means one mitzvah, if you come into this world and you did one mitzvah, one, yeah. and that's it, and everything else you did was a non-mitzvah activity, like, was your life worthwhile? Yes, it was. It was. Because no matter how much ruination of the spirit is being caused, which we're not saying is good, right? Mm -hmm. If you also had one mitzvah, you have a net positive. And if you can push that margin to two mitzvahs or three mitzvahs or four mitzvahs, even better, right? Yeah. So you have to put this in perspective. These non-mitzvah activities, they're definitely having a deleterious, ruinous effect on your soul. There's no question about that. Later on, we'll refine that idea. But right now, there's no question about that. But does that mean your life is a total, like, you know, klipa fest? No, because all you need to do is one mitzvah. One mitzvah brings Hashem into your life. And Hashem, you know, one moment of Hashem outweighs all of the, all of the nation in the world. And if you can have on the margin, add another few mitzvahs and take away a little less nation, it's even better. Right? It's a different, in other words, there are some people, right? There are people who, who really don't have the mindset of the venture capitalist, right? There are people who, 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 who prize safety and security. And so it's very important to them in life that they feel that every investment that they're investing in is going to make some money, right? Those are generally not the people that, that become really, really wealthy through investing. If you become really wealthy, are okay losing money as long as the things that they're making money on are going to offset that, okay? And you can, and to do that in the extreme is like the venture capital. So now, is Hashem more like that, like person who? You know all those really, really crazy wealthy people that live in Silicon Valley. Do you know what makes them crazy wealthy? Venture capitalism. That's that's how they became crazy wealthy. No, they didn't they get lucky. Brains. They had brains. So to and they, money to start off with. And money to start off with. If you I need to. If you have money, you're, yeah. you're, 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 right? Or you have connections to their friends who lend you money. That also work, right? Yeah, you have to have money. Yeah. Right? That, that's, yeah. that's, that's the whole thing with capitalism is that if you use money to get make money, right? right? So it's kind of unfair to those who start off with no money. Yeah. yeah. Okay, fine. So we can all become yeah. communists now. That's the. But so what? Are, so now let's think about Hashem sends our soul into the world. Let's just stop here. Hashem sends our soul into the world, right? Let's. We know nothing else other than if it's a mitzvah, you get the full glory and essence of Hashem. Yeah. And if it's anything other than a mitzvah, you're contaminating the godly soul. Why would Hashem send the godly soul into the world? Isn't most moments of life a loss? Yeah. 
It's true. But those losses are big losses or small losses? Small losses. And whatever successes are big successes. And even one big success overrides or counterbalances all the losses. Isn't it such a risk? As long as you did one mitzvah, one. Mate is worth it's it's a net positive. Just if we stop if you never learned another line of time, you just learned what we've learned up till now. Yeah, chapter four and up to now chapter three, what comes out is a life where you only did one single mitzvah would be a net positive. Even though most of life is destroying the soul. Or destro- or ruining the soul. Like when I get I, b- I believe the song goes, for 70 or 80 years, the yeah. neshama wears it just to do a favor for another, right? One mitzvah, one. So right? Does that mean the rest of your life is like, no, the rest of life is, you know, money down the drain, but... So is Hashem taking a risk? Yes. Yeah. Think about it. Is he okay. taking a risk? Yeah. Is a venture capitalist taking a risk? Yeah. Why not? Because they know how to build systems. Because they understand that if you invest in enough different things, right, then statistically one of them is going to make big. The trick is, not everyone who's doing that is actually doing that, right? Some people, they just feel... just invest in one thing. Venture capitalists do not just invest in one thing. And they look for, they look for things that are really crazy. Because the thing that's going to make, the thing that's going to, right, the thing that's going to like revolutionize everything and change everything is the thing that everyone least expects, right? So give me 25 different radically crazy ideas. 24 of you, what's going to happen? You're all going to crash and burn. What's going to happen to one of you? I don't know which one. Succeed. And therefore, for, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, it's fine. Right? I don't care. Right? And it's exciting because you don't know which one it's going to be, right? Okay. Right. It's fun, but it's like real. Right. That's right. The people who the people had all these great crazy ideas, they might not be so thrilled, right? Because, yeah. They took the loss. Okay. So, if we every moment of our life, right? It could be a mitzvah, it could be not a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah. It's an infinite gain. If it's not a mitzvah, it's an actual loss, contaminating our soul. Even if there's no sin involved. But overall, the one mitzvah outweighs all the losses because a mitzvah brings the true glory of Hashem. Mm. That's what we learned in chapter four. Yeah, I know, I'm saying that it really outweighs all the loss. Like I get it, but like from age whatever, yeah. from thirteen, yeah. we become a capitalist. Yeah. Oh. We're not talking about sinning. Sinning is not a different sinning, issue. Just everything you do in comparison to one mitzvah. Well, one mitzvah brings Hashem, and Hashem that, is that infinite, right? Right. Okay, and no matter how much you're contaminating, the contamination is limited, right? Yeah, but then why doesn't that just mean then? Okay, then, then why does that mean? That, that's what I'm saying, that the animal soul should be able to even affect the godly soul because the godly soul is also godly. Yeah, but, it, but God has a, there's levels of godliness which are susceptible to contamination. The godly soul has those and therefore most levels it can be contaminated. There is a level of the godly soul which is that can never be destroyed and contaminated or ruined and that's something else. Which by the way leads us to, oh, I if we take this idea, we have another interesting thing. Do you ever notice that some Jews are not born in religious families, in a religious community? Really? And they don't know anything about Torah and mitzvahs? Mm-hmm. You've mm-hmm. heard about this phenomenon? Yes. Yeah. Uh, who, 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 who caused that? Hashem. Hashem. And some of those people live their whole lives and never discover anything about Torah and mitzvahs, right? So what's the point? 
mitzvah. That's right. That's crazy. Everything, there's no such thing as a Jew who hasn't done at least one mitzvah. Right. Even if you don't know you're Jewish. You're like honoring your Seems parents. so unfair. Why? I don't know. Hashem put them in this world and then he didn't expose them to any Torah and mitzvahs and then they just did one mitzvah without even knowing that they did a mitzvah and then that was their law. And why is that so? The, 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 the only reason you're saying that is because the, because of the infinite value of the mitzvah isn't something that resonates with you emotionally. If it did... At least give them something. Let me ask you a question. Let's say somebody's had a miserable life. Miserable life. Everything about their life was totally miserable. Okay? But they had a child, and they died right after they had the child. Would you say their life was worthwhile? Yeah. Why? Because that, that, that if you're that child, you care about that child. Without my parents, I wouldn't be here, right? My, if you're saying my life is value, by definition, you're saying that my parents' life was valuable, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you appreciate the unfathomable worth of a single person being born, then all that suffering and stuff, I wouldn't say that, okay, we're happy it happened, right? But don't tell me that life accomplished nothing, right? Mm-hmm. So then what if we just took out having a child and we... We put something else of infinite worth, i.e. a mitzvah. The same thing would hold true. Even if that person's not consciously aware of it? Yes. Somebody could have a child and not know they had a child. Right? Now, you still could ask the question, why do it that way, right? Which I didn't answer. That, that, that's a question I didn't answer. But you can't say the life was pointless. Right. right, right. You could still say, yeah, okay, but you didn't have to do that way, right? Right. Why would Hashem do it that way? We haven't explained. But, but to say that it's pointless, that you can't say. That life, right? And that's, you know, our sages say, by the way, how many mitzvahs does a Jew do in their lifetime? Well, I believe our sages say that even the sinners amongst the Jewish people are full of mitzvahs. Like pomegranates are full of seeds, which means it's not that they do one mitzvah, then lots of mitzvahs. Now, eating matzah, keeping kosher, Shabbos, maybe those mitzvahs they probably didn't do. But there are plenty of mitzvahs they probably did do. For instance, I would say most, most Jews who grow to adulthood have given tzedakah, regardless of whether they're religious or not. Yes? They've helped someone carry something, which is a mitzvah. People know that's a mitzvah. Um, what other things have they done that are mitzvahs? Respect their parents. What? Right, respected their parents. Yeah, visited the sick. Right? There's tons of things that are mitzvahs, right? Did they pay their employees on time? Did you know that's a mitzvah? Yeah, specifically. Yeah, so specifically. If you've hired somebody for the evening, you have to pay them before the morning. Hire them for the day, you have to pay them before the evening. If you hire somebody on a weekly basis, you have to pay them every week. If you hire someone on a bi-weekly basis, so for instance, in Eretz Yisrael, the, the standard is that um, sal- uh, salary workers are paid monthly. So you get a paycheck every month, monthly, in Israel. In America, people are paid, what's the standard arrangement, anyone know? Bi-weekly, paid every two weeks, usually. Okay, so. Which, by the way, means that if you're an employer, unless you explicitly made that arrangement beforehand, you're an employer in the United States or Canada, and you pay your worker, you don't pay them after two weeks, you, pay, you make up and pay the whole thing at the end of the month, you, you didn't do a mitzvah, and you also sinned. Whereas in Israel, it's fine, because that's the arrangement. But 
A little known thing that, like, for instance, unless, unless you have a clear arrangement set up with the babysitter or the cleaning lady, you have to pay her at the end of the service. Say, I'll pay you next time. Those weren't like that. And if you have a clear set of arrangement, that's fine. Yeah, there's all sorts of mitzvahs that people do, even if they're not religious, right? Even if they consider themselves to be atheists, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like. So, yeah, it's all the time, all the time, the, the, the soul is being contaminated by all the mundane activities of life, right? But we, we shouldn't conclude from that that the life is worthless and pointless. Like, don't, don't forget chapter four just because you've learned chapter six. Good? Yes. That's the, that's the takeaway of this. Okay, tomorrow, Bez and Hashem, what we're going to do is we're going to learn why. Why is it the case that all of these things, which seemingly are so benign, have such a negative effect? Right? Where is all this harshness coming from? It seems a bit extreme. What? I'm excited. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. And people say Hasidus is all about being lovey-dovey.